Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we went a little long this week. We do have a very special guest, Jamie Stegmeyer, and we appreciated him coming on and giving us so much of his time. But we actually took a lot of time doing this, so what we're going to do is break this episode into two parts. This week, we're going to tell you our top five things about time stories. And next week, we're going to come back and share that design discussion with you. So guess what? Double the Jamie Stegmeyer, two weeks in a row. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hello, hello, everyone. We have a very special guest on this week's episode, Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Mike didn't do his normal cheering. I don't know what happened there. Oh, uh, yay! <laughs> I feel like a... <laughs> I think I did to do it because I've started to feel like a Muppet. You know how uh, Kermit would like throw his hands in the air and just sort of shriek uh, in an inhumanly high voice? Yeah. <laughs> so, so but, but Jamie, it doesn't mean I'm not excited to have you. We, we are super, <laughs> super into having you on the show and really excited to talk about Time Stories today. is going to be our deep dive and also just talk about for our design discussion how narratives are created in games and the different ways that compelling narratives can be created. I am so excited to be here. I, I it was just recently that I learned about your podcast, and so I've been binging it over the, like the last two weeks, and it's it's awesome. It's fantastic, especially for someone who's designing a cooperative game. It's it's perfect. So I'm really really excited to talk about narrative games and time stories today. Well, that leads us right into a great question. I know you're most known probably for Scythe, Euphoria, and Viticulture, which my wife and I absolutely love. We've been playing through the uh, Tuscany campaign on that and absolutely loving it. That's one of her favorite games. So thank you for all those. But yeah, so you told us you were working on a cooperative game. Do you want to let out a little bit of information on that? Yeah, and actually, as you said that, I... I actually realized I have designed one cooperative thing. There's a module in the new Scythe expansion that is cooperative. Oh, really cool. That's exciting. Yeah, it's kind of, it's. I would say it's akin to the Invasion expansion for Orleans, where it's very much still feels like the same game, but there are cooperative elements where you're working together. So that was, that was like me dipping my toes in those waters. But I am also designing a cooperative game from scratch. I have been working on it for about a year now, and it probably still needs about a year. It's a, it's a long long-term design process. Yeah, we know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's really exciting to, to see you uh, dip in full force into the cooperative realm. Now, let me ask you, because people might not know about the Scythe expansion also, does that have elements of the Automa system in it, or is that being built from the ground up to be something you're completely fighting against? Yeah, this is completely independent of Automa. Automa still is still an option if you want to play like against multiple Automa. You can do it that way. But I kind of wanted to design a module that was that was like Automa is intended to feel like a competitive opponent, like one on one, a two player game sure. essentially. And so I wanted to design a version of it from the ground up that felt that like incorporated a number of elements that encouraged cooperation between players, basically. So. Absolutely. That's what it is. So there's no automa. There are automatic elements, but it's not automa. That's cool. That's, that's really exciting. Yeah. So when can we expect that one out? Do we have a date on that? Um, it's a, It'll be a Gen Con release and then to retailers a few weeks later. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah. And can you play like six factions, eight factions, or is it going to be one to four? Uh, Scythe goes up to seven players. It's normally a five-player game. If you have invaders from afar, you can play another... Uh, two players so you can play 
It's seven on one. You could do seven players against against the bad guy in the co-op version. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I uh, also wanted to compliment you on Charterstone. We've been having a lot of fun with that one. And actually, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, we talked about Pandemic Legacy Season 2 on a previous episode. We've been kind of switching back and forth between Charterstone and Pandemic Legacy. Like, we'll play one of each on a given night or two uh, on one game night and then two sessions of the other on the next game night. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very interesting to kind of compare the different take on Legacy and which elements are similar. But it's it's fantastic. We're really enjoying it. In fact... uh, I don't know. I, I, I might say I'm enjoying it more than Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I'm enjoying both. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, I think you have a lot of cool stuff going there. So congrats on that design as well. Thanks. Yeah, th- there were times in that where I tried to actually have cooperative, like a cooperative scenario in it. And I found that playtesters really resisted it. Like they, mm-hmm. as much as they wanted, they asked for, they wanted something different in every scenario. They were very uncomfortable going like competitive, 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 and then cooperative for one scenario and then back to competitive. It just didn't yeah. flow. I found that interesting. They just didn't want that. That is interesting. So there is actually, there's one scenario in it where you might be able to, I don't know how far, how many games in are you? I don't want to spoil it. Are we five in, Peter? Or four or five, maybe four six. Four or five. Okay. Yeah. Well, either you just did it or you'll you'll about to do a scenario where the game slightly encourages you to be, like, nice to the other players. Man, I don't think I've played that one yet. <laughs> so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but yeah. the the big cooperative game I'm working on, I, it, it's still very much in flux, but it, it's inspired by Time Stories partially, which we're talking about today, inspired partially by Seventh Continent, which I hadn't played yet, but I had read a lot about it. I was excited about the idea of, like, an open world and then around that time when I was getting excited about this, uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh my gosh. Which I haven't actually played, but I've watched hundreds of hours of videos about it. <laughs> so it's kind of like you played the entire game. <laughs> Feels like that, yeah. And I was, I was just fascinated by open world elements of it, and so I, that, that's been a major influence on this game. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Seventh Continent more than Peter because I'm a bit more of a solo player and I feel like that game sings a bit more solo. Yeah. Definitely like Breath of the Wild. So that's, uh, that's hitting all my, uh, <laughs> my sort of interest buttons there. That sounds really cool, man. We'll see if it works out. It's definitely, I mean, you guys, you're, you're becoming very experienced cooperative designers. So I'm sure you have a certain rhythm that you can get into. For me, it's all new. So right. we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Good luck, good luck. It is very different than designing a competitive game, because we've done that as well. And it's funny, all our competitive games have turned into cooperative games. They don't start out that way. (laughs) So (laughs) it is interesting how it works out where you just get into a rhythm, like you said, of designing a certain thing. And we've kind of found our niche in that. Yeah. But it, it is a different experience. It's interesting, because for competitive, you want so much balance in the game between players. And you want the powers to feel kind of the same. Whereas cooperative, it's not as big of a deal if somebody's a little bit more powerful than somebody else. It's a bigger deal if the balance with the game system doesn't work right. right. And that's where you have to get it more right in a cooperative game. In a competitive game, you can count on the players themselves to balance it and make wild, swingy choices. Whereas a cooperative game, the game has to provide that. And that's why a lot of times there's these elements of randomness in cooperative games because you don't have other players making random wild decisions that you then have to counteract. The game has to do that for you. Right. Yeah, you guys, I think, had one of your episodes, I can't remember which one, but you had a very interesting debate about that, about like how important are the asymmetric balances in a cooperative game. 
And it was really interesting yeah. to listen to that because, like, my instinct has always been like, oh, maybe it just doesn't matter all that much, like the in cooperative games. But I, you made some great points about why why it does actually make a pretty big difference. Yeah, I mean, you you have experience with some asymmetry in your competitive games. I would say Scythe is one of the bigger ones for that. Yeah, and that's why I'm very impressed by the design of Scythe. Uh, things like uh, Vast, the Crystal Cavern. Oh yeah, like where they get extreme. I mean, especially in Vast, where you have extreme asymmetry, but still like the competitive balance. Yeah, maybe someday, but at the moment, I don't know if I'm capable of designing that kind of a, a game. So it's definitely very cool. All right, well, let's get into uh time story shall we yeah 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 so uh peter why don't you tell us a bit about the theme of this game and uh by the way for anyone listening time stories is a very narrative based game with very specific scenarios that you generally can only play through once before you kind of know all the key details you need to know to win so for this episode in general we're going to try very hard to avoid any spoilers whatsoever and if we want to share like a sort of vague example that might be spoilerish, we'll try to give a warning beforehand. So that being said, Peter, why don't you tell us a bit about the theme here for Time Stories? All right. So in the theme, you are actually playing as time travelers. So you're going back to try to solve a problem in a certain time period. And each of these episodes or different expansions for the game, you're going back and trying to solve different things. And you don't necessarily know a whole lot of information about what you're trying to do at the beginning, or they may give you a vague outline of what to do. But really, your job is to go back and do some investigating and then try to kind of solve this mystery. So the way they do it is they send you back and you inhabit the body of someone in that time period. So they call those bodies receptive. And you're sent back and you basically go into the receptacles and you're trying to solve these mysteries. So the first one, for example, is done in an insane asylum. That's the one that comes with the base game and it's called Asylum. There are others where you're going in a more fantasy setting. There are others in ancient Egypt. So there's a lot of different settings that you'll be experiencing throughout the different campaigns. So, Mike, why don't you get into the basics of the rules? So, as Peter said, each player chooses a receptacle, and this is a game where, I mean, as you can kind of imagine, with time travel and time stories, you can potentially play again and sort of go through a loop again and choose a different receptacle to play as. But each receptacle in pretty much all the uh, missions, at least all the ones I've played, have three statistics, and they'll usually be numbers between zero and three or maybe four. And they'll also have a sort of armor statistic, and they'll have a health statistic showing how much damage they can take before they're taken out of the game. So you choose a receptacle, and then you're given a certain number of time units to solve the scenario. And this might be different based on the number of players. What you do is you go to a location, and uh, they have cards for each location that are laying out to form a complete picture. So if you have the cards in the correct order, left or right, you get a whole picture of that location with each card representing an element you might interact with. So maybe there's a cabinet in the first card on the left, and then a character you can talk to on the second card, that kind of thing. And the players will place their pawns above these cards, and multiple players can be on the same card, or players can spread out among the cards. And the players that are on a card will be able to pick up that card and read it. Now, it's important to note that according to the rules, you cannot read the cards word for word to each other. It is your job to glean the important information from the card and then summarize it for the other players, which does sort of enforce some more cooperation in the game. But uh, the cards will uh, describe what happens to you when you interact with that element. They'll sometimes give you choices. They will often give you skills to resolve. 
And what happens is, after the players have looked at their cards, they each get to take one action at the cost of one time unit for the entire group. Everything with the time units is group-based. And the two main actions you'll be using are moving to a different card, if you've seen everything you need to see there, or you want to go help out another player with what they're doing, or resolving a test. Tests are very simple. You roll the number of custom dice indicated by your receptacle statistic for that test, and about half the size of the dice show success symbols, and then some of the other sides show a skull symbol. And you're trying to get the number of successes required by the test, and in some tests, generally those involving combat, you also are trying to avoid skulls, which will trigger a riposte that could damage your receptacle or even take them out of the game. Many tests are one chance, where you get a roll and you either pass or fail, but the majority are uh, tests that you can build up successes over the course of several turns, and even different players can help each other out by pooling their successes over time until they eventually pass the test. And uh, what'll happen with these tests is you'll sometimes find out information because many of the scenarios are somewhat puzzle-based and you need to sometimes write information down and kind of collect things and put ideas together. But a lot of them will have you draw from a large item deck. And the items are sometimes allies that follow you around, weapons or items that boost your statistics for future tests, clues that are needed to solve things or give you alternative choices on the cards... And then also, some of them are actually new locations, so you might not be able to access some locations that are required potentially to win the game until you have actually found them in the item deck. Now, uh, you're going through, you're spending time units when the entire group wants to move to a new location, because again, you have to all stay together. It costs between one and three time units. You roll this little time unit die to find out how much it costs you to move to the new location. And you're going, you're investigating, you're collecting items, potentially having combat, until you either complete the scenario, or more frequently, at least a few times through the game, you reach the end of the time unit track, or have some other time loop ending condition triggered, like maybe all of you are defeated, for example. And when that happens, you have to reset the entire game, and you try again, because you're time travelers. You can teleport right back to the same time and take it all over again. And uh, the important thing to note is you reset everything. So you can pick new receptacles. They get all their stats back. Anybody that was defeated, they're back again. Any items you picked up, they're gone. The only exception to this, and this is a fun little thematic thing, is that anything that is based purely on knowledge... So, like, if you would know that that hidden thing was still there because you saw it last time you were there, those cards are not lost. So you do sometimes have some things that have a special symbol and stay from loop to loop, but in general you are resetting completely. And basically, uh, depending on the scenario, some things might change, but you are trying to get it right, uh, sort of in a uh, Groundhog Day-ish, Edge of Tomorrow uh, sort of way. You're trying to solve the mystery and, and complete the scenario successfully. All right, cool. Well, thanks for that, Mike. And so now we're going to get into our top five. If you are first-time listener, thank you for joining us. Our top five, we basically describe the five most important things that we feel you should know about the game. And each of us is going to do this, starting with our number five, which is the least important thing, but obviously still important or we wouldn't talk about it, going all the way to our number ones, which we think is the most important thing that you need to know about the game. So, Jamie, as our guest, please start us off. What is your number five thing to know about Time Stories? Well, I wrote out a list of 10 of these, so I, my number five is still, I mean, it's, it's still very important, and it's really one of the reasons why the game is uh, my, my favorite game, period, is that Time Stories, unlike any other game that I've played, feels like I was in a movie 
like every scenario feels like I like I look back on it as if I was actually in a movie. Like it's cinematic, but also very personal, like a, like an actual memory. And I, there are really no other like there are gaming experiences where I remember something specific about a, a certain situation. But in Time Stories, it happens multiple times in every episode, and I think that's because of the combination of the narrative, the visual elements, the moments of cleverness that it lets you have. And sometimes just some random silly things that happen. Uh, in the first scenario, there's, there's a few... In fact, in every scenario, there's a few red herrings, and they're pretty memorable. And it's amazing to me that I can think back on a game that I played... A scenario that I played like three years ago and remember a moment, a specific moment, which is pretty incredible. I think that's something that you probably see in a lot of cooperative games. But uh, Time Stories, I think, it excels at doing that. That's a good point. And I, I'm, I'm very much in the same spot. I've played uh, two of the expansions and the core game, and I have vivid memories from the Asylum scenario, even though I think we played that probably a year and a half ago or more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it came out 2015. We played it then. So oh it my was... gosh, really? Three years yeah. ago? Yeah, it was three <laughs> wild, years ago. Yeah, that, I, I can remember those things, like, intimately. <laughs> <laughs> Akin to the cinematic experience, I, I get just as excited about a new module as I do a big movie. Like, I buy it right away, and I get my friends together right away, and we just sit down for three to four or five hours and play it. Like, we would, like, Infinity War this weekend. Like, that, it's the same <laughs> level of excitement, which is incredible to me that a board game can do that. Absolutely. That's pretty neat. All right, Mike, what's your number five? So my number five is uh, generally a pro, and that's the action system and the dice resolution system. I already talked about it a bit in the uh, rules explanation, but it is very quick. Most things are somewhat simultaneous, so there's very little downtime. The dice resolution is very simple, but it gives enough variety because you can have these different shield icons and like special icons for the tests you're resolving and the enemies you're fighting. And uh, different symbols can mean different things in different scenarios. So it shows the flexibility of the system, the great variety you get in the scenarios, and also just the simplicity of going to a card, reading it, and then being able to resolve a test or move, and how quick the dice resolve, that's all great. My only gripe, and it's a very minor one, so again, this is pretty much a pro, is that sometimes it can feel a little bit muddy to kind of parse the the turn order with the the action phase. Because like you're all reading cards, and some of you will again immediately have a test you can resolve, and that's totally clear. But then other people can move immediately, which also gives them the chance to, to read the new card immediately. So, like, it's sometimes weird. Like, some people are reading two cards in a turn. Some are reading one. It's not a big deal. You can either play it fast and loose, or you can, like, really specifically be like, all right, who's taking the first action? Who's taking the second action? Which is how the rules spell it out. In either case, it's not anything to kind of draw you away from the game. But it's just something that, you know, bugged me a tiny bit. All right, so getting into my number five, I'm going to be a little bit of a negative Nelly here to start off with. Mine also has to do with the dice, and I do like the way the dice combat system is used, and as we said earlier, cooperative games do have to be a little bit swingy, so this isn't totally a negative. Certainly, to feel tension in a game, you want the game to be able to go one way or another. I did feel sometimes, though, especially when you know a lot of the information, and then you're moving from one location to another, and you roll that time die, and it comes up three, and then it comes up three (laughs) again, and you're losing all these time units, and that's just time you don't get to interact with the game. I understand why it's in there, but it can be frustrating at times for me. But on the other hand, I think Mike's right about the other dice tests. They're 
definitely exciting. They add a little bit of excitement to the game. They certainly give you a reason to choose some characters over another. And a lot of these adventure-style games are going to have that in there. The reason it's interesting, and I guess I'll talk about it more when I get to my number four, is that the game is mostly a puzzle game where you're going in and living this adventure. And to have this these dice moments in there, I think is an interesting choice that they had to do it. Because a lot of the adventure games I'm talking about, that's what they are, right? They are dice rolling games where you go somewhere, you roll a bunch of dice. And in this situation... All the stuff I wanted to do didn't have to do with the dice. Like, I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to learn something. I wanted to solve a puzzle. And the dice took me away from that a little bit, although I do like how smooth and clean it was. The only time it took me away was when it was frustrating. And so that might be a personal thing, but for other people, I'm sure they love that. It's like, oh, man, just I wasn't good enough this time. (laughs) Sure. A A friend of mine who plays mostly with his wife, they have a house rule where they just always do use two time units. So they take the average. I think, you know, the negative part of that is that you can roll, if you are rolling it, you can roll a three and you feel bad. But the positive is that sometimes you roll the one and you feel good. And so they've kind yeah, of absolutely. just neutralized that, which I, I, it works for them. And I, I might try that the next time I play just to see how it feels. Yeah. Cause I do believe that I think it's a, uh... I think four of the six sides are twos, so it really is the the very common average. Right. I guess uh, I'm, I'm trying to think where the design might have come in. What I would guess is maybe it was a little bit anticlimactic if players had like exactly two time units left and they knew that they had no chance to see a new location. So maybe right. they just threw it in there for like the chance that you'd get one time and be able to see one more thing. I don't know. Sorry, Peter. I, I cut you off. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, it doesn't bother me the first run, and even the second run a lot of times. But on that third run where you basically know what you need to do and the time just keeps working against you and now I got to <laughs> play it a fourth time because I kept rolling threes, I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. So that's the part where it can get frustrating. I think in the first couple hours of the game, it doesn't bother me. But as the game goes on, I, I think that's where it plays a bigger role for me. And don't get me wrong, it's certainly thematic. It makes sense that, you know, sometimes you're going to get held up going from one location to another. But at the same time, it doesn't feel good for me on that third run. And so, you know, again, it's my least important thing to know about the game, but I did want to throw it in there because I, I I do remember specific moments where I was frustrated with that time die specifically. Yeah. Cool. Jamie, what is your number four? So mine is another pro. You know, it's a cooperative game and I like when in cooperative games you have reasons to help out other players, both mechanically and thematically. And I think this game does hits both of those elements. In your summary, you talked about how you can join together with uh, another player on the same card to help them with a skill test. So that's mechanically you know, a way that you can cooperate and work together. But also thematically, when you're looking at these cards and getting information from them, like uh, Peter, you mentioned it's a puzzle, and it's a group puzzle that you're working out together. And I think it would be pretty difficult to do it by yourself. Like, there are many times where we've been playing and we have a full-on discussion to decide what something means, if it means anything, trying to remember if we saw something before that that meant something. And sometimes that's worked out well. And sometimes we've, like, shot down ideas that could have really helped us. But they both both lead to memorable moments. Those moments where we came together and, and noticed something specific and talked about it and realized what it meant. And those moments where we... In fact, specifically in the, uh, what was it? I'm looking at my list here. The Lumen Fide one was where we had something that we should have caught. And (laughs) someone, I think one person dismissed it and the rest of us didn't make a big deal about it. And it was a huge deal. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So I, I like those elements of cooperation, both thematic and mechanical. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's a little higher on mine. So go ahead, Mike, what's your number four? So my number four is a mixed one that's very scenario-dependent. Uh, so for some scenarios, this is a pro. Some scenarios, it's a con. And it is how the, the time track uh, counts down towards a loss when you reach zero. I won't go into any specifics about which scenarios are which, but some scenarios I've played have very thematic reasons for why you lose at zero. Like, it's a very clear race against something. And probably my favorite scenario at the moment, from a mechanical standpoint, actually had the game changing at certain milestones of the time unit track which even more gave that tension of like this being a living, breathing world. And, you know, you think of Groundhog Day, like certain things are going to happen at certain times, and that's kind of fun. So some scenarios do that a lot better than others. The scenarios that don't do it well, it does feel a little bit weak, because it's like, hey, you reached zero, better start again. And I'm like, why? What actually happened that made that <laughs> they made me lose? Like, my, my people are fine, we're solving the mystery, let's keep going. So, so some scenarios do better than others. So I won't say it's a con or a pro. It, it, it's very scenario dependent. But sometimes the time track is used in really creative ways and really like uh, brings the theme home even stronger. Sometimes it feels like sort of an afterthought. It's just a somewhat abstract uh, loss condition. And I mean, I think the thing to point out is these different scenarios are designed by different people. Yeah. So this isn't you know, one consistent thing, you know, they're probably working on certain scenarios while other ones have already gone out. So I think as time goes on, this scenarios are getting stronger. Although I'll be honest, my favorite puzzle is probably in the base game. Uh, That, I mean, yeah, not to say anything about it, but that was an excellent one. So, you know, I, I do think some of these aspects will get better and have gotten better over time as well. But going to my number four is the puzzling nature of the game. We talked a lot about this. I think this was very high up on on our Spirit Island episode. This might have even been my number one. That game is very puzzly, and I think this is that kind of game as well. I typically like very puzzly games, games like the Escape Room games. That gives me that feel of an Escape Room game because there's things, you know, like Jamie was talking about. There are clues you have to notice. There are discussions you have to have, and Again, I think this is why my number five was so disturbing to me. It's like, well, why are the dice in the way of this like puzzle-solving <laughs> game? And I think in certain scenarios, the puzzle-solving is better than others. I think they do it better than in others. But again, you kind of expect that because each scenario was designed by different people. But I really do like the puzzling nature of the game. I like how you go in and you all have to kind of do your own thing and there's not reading out loud too much there certainly is that anytime you go to a new location you read about the different things but it's also pictured there right in front of you so as somebody's reading it you can kind of scan the picture for even more immersion into that scenario but then as you decide to go to these different places oh i'm going to go over here because i think i'm going to be really good at doing this and then you flip over the card and it's completely different than what you thought it might be (laughs) so next time you have to kind of remember that so like when you put somebody else in there it's like okay well let's not put the person that's good in fighting next to that person they just wanted to dance with you i don't know so uh, that's number four for me is the puzzling nature of the game. And I really, that's that's one big pro for me. I really do like these. Anybody who's listened to our episodes know I love the Unlock series, these escape room type games. And I do get that feeling when playing this one as well. Absolutely. So Jamie, let's talk about your number three. So this is probably the only one that is both a mix of a pro and a con. So each of these scenarios are standalone scenarios but there are little nuggets of an ongoing, overarching story. 
I won't go into what that means because really it's only hinted at. It it, it it would be tough to spoil it because it's it, you're just getting little tidbits here and there. <laughs> it's tough to spoil because we don't know it. Right, yet. right. <laughs> and I think I, I've played all seven modules that are out, and starting to get to the point where I kind of wish I kind of wish there uh, that I knew it would come to an end at a certain point. Not the entire mm-hmm. series. I will gladly buy Time Stories modules for for years to come. <laughs> but I kind of wish at some point they'd say, okay, we're going to, like, in, in this scenario, maybe three scenarios down the road, we're going to wrap up this big picture story. And then maybe we'll start right. another one. Sure, no, no, definitely. Because I'm starting to feel just a little bit like, like it's just, they're just going to stretch it out for a long, long time. Like I com- I'd compare it to a movie series or a TV series that runs on a little bit too long. Instead of, like, Game of Thrones where they said it's going to end at this season, yeah. we knew that. A couple years ago when it was going to end. Yep. And so we were able to kind of set our like internal psychological calendars around that idea. And Time Stories hasn't done that yet. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. hoping they do. Have you guys, what, how do you feel about that overarching story? I'll be honest, I didn't even notice it mm. until several episodes in when somebody was pointing out, it's like, oh yeah, that's related to this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it is? <laughs> like, it, you know, it, it's not the kind of thing that's going to jump out and slap you in the face. When you play the first game, you are not going to go oh, I see what the overarching story is. Even when you play the second game, I don't think it's going to jump out at you. It takes three, four, five games in. Then you're like, oh, yeah, didn't they mention that before? And so isn't the kind of story, at least in my mind, at least for me, it didn't jump out. And maybe it's because I'm so focused on that specific module itself that like the overarching story sometimes gets lost. And it's funny because we're talking three years later now, and while each story has very memorable moments, I don't know that that overarching story does. And so there is a little bit of looking back that has to happen for me from time to time. It's like, all right, remind me of what's going on here again. That's been my experience so far. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. I've played, I think, one fewer scenario than Peter has. So I guess I've missed a little bit more than what he's seen. But for me, it's very reminiscent of something like the X-Files, both in a good and a bad way. Because those who follow the X-Files know that uh, Chris Carter really drew out, like, the sort of mythos, like, the uh, the conspiracy episodes to kind of a ridiculous extent and sort of switch things up a few too many times. But at the same time, the idea that, like, even in a random episode about, like, some monster of the week, I can get a little glimpse and be like, huh, who did that? There is someone working behind the scenes. And that's the feeling I've gotten from the scenarios. Like, I get the sense of a malicious presence but I don't know many details yet, and so far it hasn't bothered me because, kind of as Peter said, the narrative of each individual scenario is so strong that I'm not feeling like I'm missing out on a good story. I just feel like there's like some Easter eggs for me to look at as I enjoy this good story. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe when I'm five or six or seven scenarios in and it's still just Easter eggs and I, have, I still have no you know, greater knowledge of specifically what is going on, I could definitely see that being frustrating. But for now, I'm enjoying it. Cool. All right, Mike, what's your number three? So my number three is uh, similar to what some of you have already said. I think the the mystery is very good here. And specifically going back to one of Jamie's earlier points, I play a lot of games that are mystery games. You know, we play the Unlock and pretty much all of these escape room games. Love them. I'm also a big fan of uh, Sherlock Holmes' Consulting Detective from back in the day. I've played that both solo and cooperatively, kind of working together to solve the mystery. All those games are lovely. I enjoy all of them immensely. What Jamie said about kind of the cooperative nature comes out for me most strongly in the mechanical restriction that people cannot read the cards to each other. 
Because that's how all these things work out. You know, like in Unlock, somebody will read the flavor text. In the Exit Room game, somebody will read the flavor text. In Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, you can take turns, but you're all reading whatever the paragraphs are that describe what happened in that location. So just that little wrinkle that I read this card and you didn't see it, and I might have missed something, or I might have thought one thing was important, going back to those red herrings, and not realize something else was important. It's just such a genius move to, you know, number one, kind of like... A game like Pandemic keeps your hands hidden, forcing cooperation and discussion because you're not allowed to show what's in your hand. Same sort of thing here, except it's the first time I've seen it in a mystery game. You're not allowed to show what's in your mind. You're not allowed to show, like, what's in your memory because you might have imperfect memory. So I really like that. I mean, I like the mystery in general. So number three is kind of the mystery overall. But I especially love that it is uh, the first game I can think of that forces a more cooperative nature to the mystery... And, you know, I I can't really imagine playing this solo. I guess I could be running three characters, but, you know, trying to keep all that stuff in my brain and parse what's important about each of those cards seems like a really mammoth task. So this is uh, one of the only mystery games I've played that I think demands cooperative play, and that's really a a great thing for it. I'm going to talk more about that in a second, too, but I think you summed it up very, very well, Mike. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you agree. All right, Peter, what's your number three? All right, so my number three is story, and we've definitely talked about the story a lot. That's probably what we've talked about most, so maybe it should have been all of our number ones. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'll get to my number one. I'm pretty happy with it. (laughs) But the story in this game is very cool, and I think Jamie hit it on the head earlier when he said, you're not only reading the story. When you enter a new location, as I said before, there is a moment where somebody is reading that story out loud, and it's never me, which makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) but i get to then look at these cards and kind of see that story laid out in front of me the way they did that with the art is just so ingenious and then if something happens when you flip over the card maybe you're talking to somebody they'll show a picture of that person's face you know and the change in their mood or whatever it is as you go up and talk to them or they might show you a closer view of something that you were looking at in this overall overarching scene but they might zoom in on the one thing that is important so i really do think that that is a neat way that they invoke the story and i think mike hit it on the head also in the fact that you're all getting little pieces of this story and the way you're sharing it is you're sharing it together so it becomes a group storytelling moment where no one person has all the information and as Mike knows and my group knows, and maybe you guys have gleaned from when, I, when I've talked about this in the past, but I am not the best out loud reader, right? I was never <laughs> an English teacher where I am reading things to the group. But when I'm reading it in my own head, I can read it just fine. And so we're all doing that at the same time. So something that could drag out, right? We're reading three or four cards at a time, depending on the number of people we have. Something that could drag out, each of us is doing simultaneously. And then we kind of come together for this group sharing moment. Just to piggyback off that a little bit, this isn't one of my numbers, but it it reminded me that in my group, we play six-player time stories. Mm -hmm. We have six people who want to play, and it works perfectly fine with that. We just pair up. We still use four characters. Works really well. I I always kind of, well, I often like that in cooperative games where you can throw in extra players, and it's okay, and it doesn't detract from the experience. That's great. Well, go ahead and follow up, Jamie. What's your number two? Yeah, my actual number two. So this stems from a pet peeve I have about a certain category of game that Time Stories, I think, does really well. Sometimes online people have listed, like, their favorite dungeon crawl games. And I've chimed in to say Time Stories. And usually we get in a little argument about whether or not Time Stories is a dungeon crawl game. 
usually the conclusion that I come to is that a Time Stories is the type of dungeon crawl game that I want to play because of the variety of choices. In a lot of dungeon crawl games, your only choice is to fight and to kill. And some of them do that in brilliant and interesting ways. You've mentioned Gloomhaven, Imperial Assault. They, they, mm. they, they're very clever tactical combat games. But I love in Time Stories how you often have the choice to negotiate or bribe or sneak or fight. You often have two or three choices. And I, I love the thematic and the mechanical nature of that, 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 I, that I am not forced to always fight, that I can also do those other things. That's a good call. So my number two is the closest I have to a straight-out con for the game. And definitely, like, the worst thing about the game. Not that it's terrible, but it's mostly a con. It is incredibly frustrating. As Peter mentioned earlier, when you are in, usually for me, loop three, maybe loop four if we're not doing well, and you've solved the mystery, you literally know every step you need to take. And some of the scenarios, again, no specifics, but sometimes there will be a way to pass or fail literally at the end of the scenario. In fact, I think almost all of them have, have that in some, some way. And if you make the wrong step or don't make the role or that kind of thing, the game basically demands that you play through everything again with no discovery left, with no mystery left, literally just going through rote motions to get through. And, and I'll be totally honest, this has kept the game a fun experience for me. We cheat mercilessly. We're like, hey, like we'll just write down. We'll be like, hey, we got to the final location at 10 time units. If we fail here, we're just going to be back there at 10 time units again. Like We'll just pretend that we went through all of the things and, and reset to kind of where we were before that happened. I, I'll liken it to, um, you know, I don't know how much you all have played Choose Your Own Adventure books. Those were a huge thing in my childhood. But if I had a bad ending in the middle or even like this, this two-thirds through the story, I would, I would restart and I'd try to make better choices and explore new things. But if I knew that I was one page away from the best ending and I made the wrong choice, my finger would be stuck in that previous page and I would rewind to that previous page and I would be like, I'm not reading this whole book again to reach this point. I know what happens. I know everything already. So, so that's the one thing that you get into the potential for completely redundant loops that don't add gameplay and the dice mechanic is quick but i would not say that in that circumstance it becomes fun it becomes kind of drudgery and the game can be very long you know with three players especially because we're discussing more we go three hours sometimes even four hours and that's great you know it's, it's a good value for the money because this is kind of a one-off unless you want to trade the scenario to somebody or resell it but yeah so that that's my one like Almost full-on con. I won't say it's a full con because until you get to that point of kind of diminishing returns, the Groundhog Day mechanic is super fun, and I like trying new things out. I like making different choices. I like the new discoveries and using what I know to be more intelligent in my next run-through. It's just... You know, I mean, I guess it's a frustration Bill Murray probably felt when he was like 99% there and then Andy McDowell just wouldn't kiss him in the end, you know? So, sorry, that's a film reference again. Hopefully some of you have seen any of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> if not, then uh, go watch them. They're really good. So, yeah, that, that, that's my number two. And again, almost all a con. The, the time-looping mechanic, while clever, can become redundant and frustrating as you get near the end. So how do you and your group handle that, Jamie? Well, that's a good question. And I, I, have a, I have a question for Mike that leads off of that. But uh, yeah. in my group, 
That's been a frustration point, for sure. Like, there have been a few scenarios where we pretty much knew everything. And there was, like you said, there was no more discovery. And I think sometimes we've just run through it officially, and sometimes we've fudged it a little bit and, and sure, sure. finished. But uh, I wanted to ask if you played the Estrella Drive module or scenario. Yes. The latest one. Yes. And that, again, I don't want to get any specifics, but I would say actually that one bothered me the least, I want to say. I don't know if that's your experience, but I felt that the least for that one. And that, that is why that one mechanically is one of my favorites so far. Was that your experience with it? It was. And I, and I, I thought about it a lot, and I think I know why. I think it's two things, and this won't spoil anything. But in, in Estrella Drive, to win it, you have to, you know, you have to go through one of these runs. And we went through the final run like six times, which in any other scenario would have been terrible. It would have gotten redundant by two, three, four, five, six. But in this one, the puzzle was the run itself. Like the yeah. whole puzzle was getting it precisely in the right order. Absolutely. And yes. there was very little dice rolling in that final part that you were trying to achieve. I, I think maybe there was one dice roll, but you could even avoid that. And so by taking that randomness out and making it all about the precision and the order of operations, I think that works really well. So I wonder if they've come, like I'm hoping they'll repeat that in future yeah. scenarios, that they've learned that along the way. Yeah, because the other scenarios I've played, again, without specifics had more problems with this. And I would say it was because they could have gone with either extreme. They could have either made it extremely quick to get to the final moment once you know everything so that it's not drudgery, like you can just go straight through, bam, 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 and you're there. Or they could have made it like Estrella Drive where every choice matters and you got to solve the optimization puzzle and that would have been cool also. But what I found with those is that it took about half your time units to get to the final state. So it wasn't quick, but it also wasn't challenging, which is kind of the kiss of death in like the middle there. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, and I'm, you know, again, I haven't played the other recent ones like you have, but I'm hoping that down the line with the design, they, they learn some lessons from that and hopefully keep the positives going there. And I think one of the biggest offenders is probably Prophecy of Dragons. Oh, is it really? Because that's what I was about to play. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of <laughs> dice rolling in that one. I mean, it gives it more replayability as well. And I think there's, okay. I think it is probably one of the least puzzly ones of all the scenarios because I think there are multiple ways to do it. But it is definitely the most combaty and and fighty scenario that you're going to go through. Is that your experience too, Jamie? Uh, it was, but oddly enough, that was that's been my favorite scenario. I, I think right. part of it is thematically, but that was one that I like. I almost tried to fail some of the missions just so we could play it longer, which my friends were not happy about. <laughs> but I just I loved it. I would inhabit that world gladly for for a long time if they kept making making scenarios in that world. Okay, well, hey, I, I'm excited again. That's good. I agree, and I don't think there was as much time pressure in that one. So while there was a lot of fighty and, and dice rolly stuff. It only took us two or three runs to get through it. So it wasn't frustrating in the way that you're talking about, mm. Mike. So maybe they did learn, hey, let's give them some extra time here. The challenges were elsewhere. You know, we said these are kind of one-offs. I know for me that is one that you could definitely play back through again and take a different path. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So my number two is my biggest negative for the game, which Mike mentioned earlier, The Seventh Continent. And this drives me crazy in this game, and it drives me crazy in Seventh Continent. You get all the way to the end, you're almost done, and oh, you failed, so start back at square one again. <laughs> that mechanic 
just drives me absolutely crazy. Now, I will say for Time Stories, they're getting better at it. Like you said with Estrella Drive, those runs were fun because we were trying to optimize. It was an optimization puzzle. And so each time we're getting a little bit better, a little bit better. So I do agree in that one that it was good. But in some of these, it's like, all right, like Mike said, we're just going to pretend we got here because I know exactly how to get here. Like we know we got to do this, then this, then this. And it's just a matter of doing it. You know, you figure it all out on that second to last run. And then the last run becomes almost anticlimactic as you're just kind of doing it. And so for me, that's my biggest negative. It actually drives me even more crazy in Seventh Continent. So it's <laughs> yes, not we, as we big know. a deal here because, I mean, you're not six or seven hours in when you have to literally pick up the entire game and reset it. So here it is a little less bothersome for me, but it is still a mechanic I'm not in love with. I do also think, though, as I said, they're getting better with time. One thing I do like that they've been doing lately is having those things where once you discover it, it's always going to be there. And those permanent cards and those permanent things, it's like, okay, this run, you might not have gotten where you want to be, but you feel like you're closer. You feel like you're making progress. And I think that's the most frustrating part for me is when you do something and at the end you're like, did I actually accomplish anything here? Whereas, you know, again, as you're adding cards and they permanently stay on the board, you know you've done something. Yeah. All right, Jamie, big, big number one. Unless you wanted to say something else about what Peter said. No, I think you, you said it well, Peter. Yeah, so Jamie, take it away. You both have very eloquently talked about my number one already, so I'll just talk about it for a second. The idea that each player is reading a card and seeing a card, and the other players are not. And so, and you're, instead of reading the, the text verbatim, you are relaying the information that, that you think you've learned from it. And the thing that I'll add to the, the wonderful things you guys have already said about this mechanism is that I think it just perfectly simulates the idea of four or six people, in my case, walking into a room, walking into, walking into separate parts of the room and talking to different people and looking at different things and then coming back together to talk about what you just saw and what you just learned. It does that so, so well. You, you mentioned some other games that have elements like this, but they definitely don't. Like Sherlock Holmes has an element of collaboration and, and talking, but you all experience it at the same time together. Exactly. Whereas yeah. this, it, it really simulates that idea of, of getting information on your own. So I absolutely love that. That's my favorite mechanism in the game, and it's why I keep coming back to it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I've done a real escape room, and this simulates a real escape room better than any of the escape room games, because in a real escape room, you have to be spread to the wind and looking through different things and coming back and be like, hey, I found this out. I found this number. Whereas you you don't get that with any of the... I I guess the closest might be deckscape because you have different colored decks and I can be looking at green while you look at red. But even then, they don't tend to interact much. Like the green solution is within green. The red solution is within red. So it, it is interesting that the escape room games have not done escape rooms as well as a game that does not purport to be an escape room in any way. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that this is very akin to an escape room, whereas the escape room games, it's all about the puzzle part of escape rooms. They get that part right. This gets the group collaboration right, which I don't think any of them have done perfectly, except for one unlock scenario. Yes. Oh, that one's so good. Which one? It was the pirate one, the island one. Oh, no, 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 not, not the pirate one. The uh, the island the one. The sort of Egyptian-like island one. It was the, the hardest one in the first set of three. I don't recall the name at the moment. Okay. But it's got an airplane flying over an island as the art image. I know that. 
But yeah, it's 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 fantastic to play with the group. Like it's it's probably still my favorite unlock scenario. I think I might say. Yeah, I agree. That was that was very cool to do the group puzzle part of that. Yeah, at the beginning of the scenario. Cool. I'll have to try that one. I, I've done the pirate one, but not that one. Future Peter here, just for an update, that unlock scenario is called The Island of Dr. Gorse. All right, so Mike, what's your number one? It kind of goes back to my number three and really what Jamie just said, but a little bit of a different take on it, and I adore this. This is an absolute pro, and I'm so just darn impressed with this choice, and it is the, the laying out of cards in a complete picture with each card representing a different element. And first of all, this enables what Jamie and I both said was one of our top things, which is p- people being able to pick up different cards. Uh, it enables that mechanic because they are there as separate cards. But also it is beautiful from a graphic design standpoint. It lets you experience the room while also making mechanical choices. It gives you information about the room. So if I'm a good talker, I'm going to probably go to the person who seems like they might be someone I can talk with. If I'm a tough guy, I might go to the person who looks like they're looking for a fight. So it like has mechanical implications. And it's just... I mean, first of all, I love cards that go together anyway. Like, I think it was uh, Jamaica. Is that the one, Peter, that, like, you put them together and you get this fun, like, little contiguous pirate picture? Yep. Yeah, it was a race game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, that's... It's just a beautiful idea in the first place, but the fact that they made it entirely integral to the actual experience of the game, and it is so cool. And then, you know, going back to the individual cards, it's not just that you have to cooperate to share information, but you have individual experiences. Like, I can remember in some of the scenarios where I would flip up a card... And I would, like, gasp in shock or fear, you know, and no one else would know what was going on with me, you know, and it was just such, it's it's so amazing. So the choice to have a fully realized location that we can all visually see, but then have individual experiences, and those locations inform my gameplay choices, it is a thematic and mechanical, like, one-two punch of brilliance. It's really my favorite thing about the game, and something really amazing. From a publishing standpoint, too, it's just darn impressive that they get those cards to line up so well. Oh my gosh, yeah, and like, I mean, the art assets for this game? Yeah, they do a really good job. Peter, what's your number one? Finish this up. So my number one is, and this is kind of going away from any individual play of the game, but that this is a game system. And that is something that is important for you to know going in. And and we've talked about it, and I've kind of sprinkled it throughout our discussion, but each game is designed by somebody different. And there might be some that are overlapping, but so you're going to get different experiences. And that's kind of the neat part about how it is. You don't know. Like we said, Prophecy of Dragons plays very different than Estrella Drive, plays very different than Asylum. Some games are going to have more puzzles. Some are going to have more dice rolling and fighting all of them are going to have at least some clues you need to pick up as you're going along but they are going to play very differently and your experiences may vary from one to the other so that's the most interesting thing to me is there could be some of these and i haven't experienced one yet that are complete duds though right Mm. because you have somebody completely different designing it and there could be some that are mind-blowing so I do think if you like the system, you're going to like it from game to game. And I think it's genius how they made the system simple enough that you can put it in all these different environments, but dynamic enough that it really does feel different from game to game. And you have a lot of different ways of going. You know, a lot of games have tried to do this in the past. Well, 
I don't know that that's true, actually. I don't think many games at all have tried to do this. <laughs> the one I can kind of jumps out at me is Betrayal at House on the Hill, where you have this basic system, this basic framework, and then the game kind of separates at the end. Hmm. Well, this game does that from the very beginning of each scenario, where each one is done completely differently, and you learn kind of the rules as you're setting up. As long as you know the basics of how to do a check, you can really play any of these scenarios, and they'll teach you as you're going along. Yeah, That, for me as a designer, is one of the cool innovations. They've come up with a system that's so robust that each game feels different, but yet oh, so simple that you can apply it to all these different settings as well. So I think it's really neat. Do you guys think that you would... Well, I'll say this. If you ever designed a Time Stories module, I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Do you think you would ever <laughs> consider doing that? And if so, was is there a theme that you'd like to explore that they haven't already explored? Oh, man. I mean, I know there are multiple themes. Uh, I think it would be amazing. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my like sort of 80s fanboyism here, but... I would love to, uh, you know, have to go back in time to to make sure my parents get together so that I don't disappear from the space-time continuum. You know, like, I think that'd be really excellent. <laughs> in a DeLorean, maybe? I mean, hey, hey, you know, I would not mind a DeLorean being thrown in there. You know, I would love to go back with John Claude Van Damme and try to rescue my wife from being defeated by an evil corporate guy, time cop style. <laughs> But no, uh, in all seriousness, I think Feudal Japan would be really cool. That's just one of my favorite, like, thematic settings in general. You know, like, something, like, involving, like, ninja and assassination would be kind of exciting within that to get, like, the mystery thing. But actually, the the big thing I would like, and again, I haven't played uh, the Dragon one yet. I haven't played uh, some of the uh, later expansions yet. So far of the three I've played, all of them are wildly inappropriate for my children, you know, like, very mature theme, very, like, caution before you enter here, very violent imagery, violent content. So I would also love to do one, you know, kind of, again, even though I was joking with the Back to the Future reference, something that's a bit more kind of, like, 80s time travel, like a Bill and Ted adventure, you know, <laughs> where, like, you jump around through, like, the locations are different time periods, and you're, like, finding out different things within different time periods. Something a bit more lighthearted would be cool. Clearly, it doesn't fit with the current... uh tone they're going for and the overarching story they're playing but as like a down the line expansion i would love to see something or design something that i could play with you know maybe not my five-year-old it'd be a little tough right now because he can't read anything (laughs) but uh you know when he's like eight or nine i think that'd be great currently i don't feel comfortable showing any of even the game content to him because it's just some really kind of stuff that could scar you in there you know yeah well and they've already shown that they're willing to go to a fantasy length so why not do sci-fi right this is clearly something that's done in the future let's see some of that future you know oh man oh my gosh like something like sorry i'm jumping in that's all right but something like either the thing or alien trapped on a plate oh my gosh the thing would be amazing you don't know who like the thing is and it even changes throughout the scenario i would love to design that (laughs) that would be so cool sorry uh getting excited here (laughs) how about you jamie are there any specific themes that you want to see come out in future expansions well, I like the feudal Japan one, and I like the idea of jumping into the future. They they really haven't they haven't done that, have they? No, they haven't jumped into the future. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think they've hinted at one, and I will say that one of the ideas you guys just said is in one of the scenarios. I don't want to spoil it, but it... okay, cool, cool. Well, I'm ex- I'm excited. <laughs> all right. Well, I've played them all but two, so apparently it's in one of those two. Yeah. Well, I know I know which one it is. 
It's the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme one. <laughs> definitely, definitely happened. I'm really excited. I'm going to do, you know, like you have to roll uh, three successes to do a split kick, you know, and, and jump up onto the countertop so that the electricity gets the bad guys, but not you. Totally ready for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Have either of you seen Time Cop? I feel like I'm making these random references. I've seen it. Yeah, it's definitely in my wheelhouse, but you should have gone with like Die Hard or something that other people Dude. have seen beside you. Time Cop has time travel. Die Hard has no time travel in any of the five movies. What are you talking about here? <laughs> well, again, it's not a game about time travel. It's a game about being put in these situations. Like somebody could be put okay. in the situation of the the hero in one of these stories. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. So I'm not sure where we left off. So let's just go right into final thoughts on time stories, whether you recommend it or not, and any like kind of final things you want to mention about the game. So, uh, Jamie, you want to go first? What are your final thoughts on Time Stories? We started having this whole conversation offline because I, well, I discovered your channel and loved it, but also because I recently made my top 10 cooperative games list, and I realized that my top 10 cooperative game is also my favorite game of all time right now. That's great. That's great. It's, I've, I've loved talking about it with you guys, and I, I guess I would just encourage anyone who's listening to this who hasn't played it. I really think it's worth playing. Even if you don't buy it, if you have a friend who maybe has the base game, you can just borrow it and, and try it. It is a wholly unique experience in any game space. Um, and I've, I've loved my time with it. And like I said, you can play it. You really can play it with more than four players. If your group is normally five players to six players, you can do it. It's totally possible. Yeah, and I, I've just had a blast with it. Great. All right, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I generally echo what Jamie said. I think this is an amazing experience. I think if you like puzzle gaming, if you like narrative puzzle gaming, if you like escape rooms, any of those kind of things, this is going to be a slam dunk for you. I'll just give a few caveats. First, if you think playing for four hours and having the last half hour be a little bit of like rote gameplay, if that's going to annoy you and your group too much, be a little careful. Second thing is I have been playing with my wife a bit more. Like We just played Marcy Case recently, and... I don't love the official rules for two-player where you each have to control two receptacles because you lose some of that experiencing your own card and then sharing with the group because it's more likely that you'll be kind of doubling up and stuff. So I'm not quite sure how to deal with that yet besides just trying to play with three or four players. I was thinking I might even just have us each control one receptacle but like double the amount of actions we can take on a given turn. Haven't figured that out yet, but definitely if you primarily play two players, I think the game is not as good. I think three and four is definitely where it sings. And the final caveat I'll give, and this is, uh, <laughs> you know, Peter mentioned this is my English teacher uh, stuff coming out. There is a mix, at least in the three games I've played so far, there is a mixed success rate with the localization and translation. Because at least I think all three of the scenarios I've played were translated from French, I think. So Asylum had a few things that threw me off, but generally it was fine. Marcy Case, oddly enough, I don't think I saw a single grammatical error or misspelling in the entire game. And I was like, well, aren't these the same staff members doing these things? Estrella Drive, the third one I played. If you are a stickler for grammar, this one is going to infuriate you. I literally like stopped reading cards several times. There are, uh, it's an egregious number of errors. There's, there's a, at least one thread on BGG talking about this. And it's really frustrating that they got it just so wrong and like messed up so many things. There are literally cards where you have no idea what it's talking about. In, in the same BGG thread, <laughs> there was one card that I had no idea what it meant. I, I literally was like, this makes no sense. And somebody had to translate from their German version into English. And I was like, oh... Okay, that that's totally logical. That, that's that's clear now. I get it. 
Now, to be fair, it didn't stop it from winning the scenario. It didn't stop me from understanding the overall narrative being told. I still think mechanically that's one of the best... No, it is the best scenario I've played. So it's just frustrating, again, if this is something that bothers you, if you're a stickler for for grammar and spelling and that kind of stuff. It's It's frustrating that with such an incredibly polished graphic design perspective for the game, with such really well-designed mechanics, I believe, and such a really, like, compelling storyline in each scenario that they haven't sprung for professional editing, because I can't imagine they have. And if they did, fire that person, because (laughs) they failed their job horribly. So, you know, your results may vary. It might not bother you as much as me, but it it did... Like, even though Estrella Drive was my favorite design one, it might be my most negative experience, because I was so constantly frustrated by it, and it was really distracting. I will say, if you were listening to this podcast right now, you need to try Time Stories. I mean, I'm just going to be as blunt as that. If you either love cooperative games or if you love game design and want to look at something to aspire to, Hmm. if not on a game-by-game basis, then on an overall game system, this is something you need to check out either way. So, as Jamie said, maybe you don't have to go out and buy it. These are somewhat disposable in the fact that once you play through it, you're not going to play through the same scenario again, with some few exceptions. But it is something that anyone in the design community and anyone in the co-op community should really try at least once. So that's how strong my recommendation is going to be. You may love it, you may hate it, but you should at least experience it. I agree, yeah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-Opcast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVPBoardGames or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Like, even though Estrella Drive was my favorite design one, it might be my most negative experience because I was so constantly frustrated by it and it was really distracting. Yeah, it was distracting for me, too, listening to you complain about it the whole time. <laughs> God, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's Okay. Bye-bye for now, but don't forget to come back next week for part two in our design discussion.